if you're a parent, um, especially if you're a new parent, let me give you some advice from a, uh, a not-so-new parent. And, and that is, uh, all parents are bound by parental law established long ago to say to their kids, what do you think I am, an ATM? Like, if you don't say this, I would say at least five times while children are in your house, have you really parented your kids? Now, I'm not sure that you have. Because we need opportunities to remind them where stuff comes from. Uh, they think things just show up, right? All of us were kids at one time. Kids think things just show up. They're just there. I come home and they're there. I don't ask where they came from. We have a lot of new parents in our church. Uh, parents of six months old and two month old and one year olds and uh, our children's minister Jen and her husband Josh have a one month old Lucy uh, now at home. We, we got lots of kids in our church and we got more kids on the way and uh, we got a lot of we got a lot of babies here this morning. Let me tell you what didn't happen this morning. Uh, those new parents didn't put their babies into their car seat this morning. Uh, the baby did not say, where did this vehicle come from? Like, who provided this for me? These nice, genuine leather seats? This is Bluetooth stereo? Like, where did this come from? The smooth ride and great handling? The sunroof? This very vehicle that I'm going to spill goldfish and juice and cereal in for the next five years. I'm going to turn this place into a dumpster. But it is really nice right now. Where did this come from? None of the babies said that. Because they don't notice. They, they don't know that it came from somewhere. They just know that it's there. They just know it's there. And they don't question how it got there. They, they didn't wonder who provided their clothes this morning. They, they didn't wonder who provided that fancy car seat stroller uh, device. They just rolled in in that fancy car seat stroller thingy. Right? They, they just expect things to happen. We were, we were, we were all there. And then, and then you get older, you, like, you grow out of the baby toddler stage and you become a preteen and then a teenager and, and again you just have a house you have a house it didn't come from anywhere you just have it you have a room you have a closet full of clothes you just you just have it and and, and, and when you're a kid you never sort of look behind the where did that come from you just know it's there we get we get shows on our television like some strange magic. It just comes and it's there and I can watch whatever I want whenever I want to watch it. That's how we all were as kids. We just expected stuff to be there. Now, maybe somewhere along the teenage years, as parents, you, you kind of let them start paying for some things. They get, a, they get a job, they get an allowance, and you, you, you let them begin to pay for some of their wants, maybe even some of their needs, and they begin to put together. Like somebody's been paying for stuff, and it costs a lot of money. They begin to realize uh, that money doesn't go very far these days, and, and, and slowly the wheels start turning 
in their minds just a little bit that there is actually somebody behind all of this. They've never thought of that a day in their life. Someone was making the mortgage payment before they knew what a mortgage was. Someone was paying the insurance premium when they had no idea what an insurance premium was. It was just happening, and slowly, over time, they began to realize this comes from somewhere. That's a glorious moment for parents, isn't it? If you've ever experienced that moment. That, that opportunity to say, yeah, we, we've been providing for you. you know, this is what it takes to provide for you. Maybe, maybe they don't understand an itemized list of every dollar you've ever spent. Right? They would have no way of calculating that unless you as a parent have been keeping up with that, which I would not criticize. If that's you, that's a pretty good way to to use an Excel spreadsheet, perhaps. But probably most of us don't sit down and say, okay, from the time we went to the hospital until 18, here's everything. Like, they don't see everything. They don't understand every dollar and dime. They don't know every way that you've been providing for them. But a part of maturity is starting to realize like some, somebody's, somebody's been taking care of me. Somebody's been providing for me. When it comes to our relationship with God, I think we, not just as kids, I think we, even as adults, we can sometimes be like our children. Because we're just living life, right? We're just living life. We're just enjoying life. Life is what it is, right? That's what we say. It is what it is. We have what we have. We made the payment. We did the thing. We've got the stuff. And, and often in our experience in this life, we are tempted to just live day to day and never look behind where stuff comes from. Ne- never look upstream to what is the actual ultimate source of what I experience in my life. We're talking about how God was named throughout the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22, we're told, So Abraham called to that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He's the Lord who provides. We we just sang the song, Jaira, you are enough. That's the line, Jaira, you are enough. We sang it uh, multiple times. That phrase comes from this passage, Genesis chapter 22. I am the God of who will provide, or I am the God who will supply, or I I am the God who will see to it. I'm the God who will see to it. I'm taking care of things. I'm on top of things. Do you have an I'll see to it person anywhere in your life? Do you have that person who says, I'll see to it that it gets taken care of? I'll see to it that you don't have to worry about this again. I'll see to it that it gets handled. We all need some I'll see to it people in our life, right? Because we know we give them something, we can trust them. They're going to take care of it. This is the idea of Genesis chapter 22. God is an I'll see to it. God, I will supply. I am meeting needs you don't even recognize I'm meeting yet. You don't even know you had this need, and I was meeting it before you recognized it. God is an I'll see to it God. He, he, he's not 
behind on his schedule. He's, he's not lacking. He's not trying to catch up. You don't ever have to spot him till payday. He's not that kind of God. He's an I'll see to it God. I got this. I'll see to it. I'm going to provide. I'm going to take care. I am on top of things. He's the God who provides. We see this all throughout uh, the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is Deuteronomy chapter 2. Moses is reminding the people of their experience in the wilderness. And, and Moses writes, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. Isn't that a great statement? 40 years. You've not lacked anything. Now the irony of the statement is that the children of God in the wilderness complained constantly about lacking stuff. If you know the story. Their constant refrain was, we don't have food. We don't have water. What are we going to do? We are lacking. We are in need. And fast forward, Moses says, if you really take account of the last 40 years, you really didn't lack anything. God met your needs you never went without. Now, you thought time and time again you were without, but we know now we never were. You thought periodically on the journey that you lacked something, but, but you never lacked. Here's the truth. There is a difference in truly lacking and thinking that I lack. There's a difference. In truly lacking, being without... And being convinced that I'm without. Being convinced that I lack. Sorry to pick on kids today. They're just really easy targets. And we were all kids at one time. Do you have kids who come home in the afternoon, open a fully stocked refrigerator or pantry, and then announce what? There is nothing in this house to eat. You just got home from the grocery store. You just bought all the stuff. It's right there, and they announce for everybody, there is nothing in this house to eat. See, they think they lack. They've never lacked a day in their life in your house, have they? Never been a day that they missed a meal, they weren't fed. Oh, but they think they lack. There's nothing in this house to eat. Or, or maybe you ha have three girls, if you're new. Maybe you have three girls, or two girls, or one girl. Or maybe you have a, a boy who does this. They open a crammed full closet, and in great despair, what do they say? I have nothing to wear. I have nothing to wear. Nothing. See, there, there's a difference in being without and thinking that you're without. There's a difference in lacking, truly lacking, your needs not being met, and you just think that they haven't been met. See, the, the problem in the wilderness, the problem with our kids, come on, the problem with you and me. The problem is not that, that we lack something the problem is we can't see the supply that we have, right? If we distributed pieces of paper this morning to everybody, we could all make a list of what we lack in our life, couldn't we? 
You can fill up a page. I can fill up a page or two. Here are all the things I wish I had in my life. I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I want that, and those people have that. I think I should have that. And we can fill up lists and lists and pages and pages of what we see as want and lack and even need. But come on, none of us are living in lack this morning. None of, none of us are truly living in need this morning. Sometimes like kids who have no idea that the light bill got paid, God is supplying for us and we're oblivious to his supply. Like kids who eat breakfast every day, they have no idea how much eggs cost or cereal costs or milk costs. It's just there. You and I get up every day and we breathe in and out and we go to our jobs and, and we experience this life and we come home at the end of the day sometimes and we think, I don't, I don't have everything I need. See, there's, there's a big difference in lack and just thinking that we lack. Now, now here's one of the reasons, maybe, that we, we think we lack, we don't, lack, we don't understand God's provision one of the reasons for that, perhaps, is because God uses many pipelines to provide what we need. If you're, if you're at home waiting for a check to arrive, that's the return address is heaven so that you know that it came from God, you're going to be waiting a really long time. What God does is he taps into all of the smaller resources that pour into our lives, but behind all of those... Smaller resources is one great source. Your heavenly Father is using your, your job and, and your circumstances and the events of your life to, to give you what you need. That, that utility bill that was just a little bit lower than we expected it to be, so we had just a little bit of margin that tax refund that came right before we had that big repair bill that ever happened like it's like a one-two punch and we wish this hadn't come but sometimes we fail to realize well this came first and god was meeting our needs he is the ultimate source behind all of the smaller sources in our life james tells us every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights every good and perfect gift. It's flowing, yes, sometimes through other streams, smaller streams, but always coming from God. In Acts, Paul and Barnabas said, Yet he, God, has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. This is what God does in your life. And yeah, you could give me a list of lack. I could give you a list of lack. And God's still supplying. God's supplying. God's pouring into our life. He will see to it in your life. He will see to it in my life. Paul says in Philippians, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All your needs. We tend to think of financial needs. We tend to think of material needs. And those are real needs. Not dismissing those, but we are more than material beings, aren't we? We have more than material needs. We have emotional needs. We have relational needs. Paul says God's able to supply all of those. 
He's, he's able to pour into our lives in all of those areas, and he does it in a variety of ways. And he, do, he does it through a relationship with a good friend. He, he does it through the, the bonding that happens in a community group. Uh, serving together as a volunteer, he, he does it sometimes through qualified and trained counselors who, who help get us on the right path emotionally and relationally. He uses his word. He uses, he uses our church. Sometimes we stare at the refrigerator of our life and say there's nothing here and God's pouring into us and God's pouring into us if we would slow down enough to see it. If we would take our eyes for just a moment off of our lack and put it on to him, we would see that he has been providing. He has been resourcing. He has seen to it in our lives. Is your life perfect? Probably not. My life is not perfect. Again, there are things I question and I wonder and I wish were different. But what is unquestionable is that in all of those areas, whether they worked out the way I wanted them to work out or not, God has been enough. God has been sufficient. He has supplied. He has seen to it. Now, there are ramifications, there are consequences when I begin to view my life through the lens of God's provision rather than through the lens of my lack, through the lens of abundance that God has put things into my life rather than through the lens of poverty, of, of lacking. For example... When I view life through this sense of God is providing, I, I learn a sense of contentment in my life. I learned that as we sang, God is enough. I'm no longer standing at the door of my life saying there's nothing. I have nothing to eat. I have nothing to wear. I, I have nothing in my life. I'm not, I'm not listing all of the things I think I deserve or I think I deserve more than that person deserves. I develop a sense of of contentment with what God has done in me. I don't have to compare what God's doing in me to what God's doing in anybody else in order to see the provision he's made in my life. I don't have to compare what he's poured into your life in order to feel content because I know what he's poured into my life. I develop a, a, a way of walking and living in contentment. Secondly, I develop a sense of confidence a sense of confidence. His God is, if God is providing now, if God has provided in the past, I can be confident that God's going to provide in the future. That there's not going to be a day of lack at some point in the future because the same God who is enough today is going to be enough in my life tomorrow. I, I, I can also live into what he's calling me to do in my life. I can walk in the direction that he's leading me uh, to walk. Acknowledging, recognizing God's provision doesn't mean that I do nothing. It, it, it doesn't mean that I just wait for God to take care of all the problems in my life. In the Old Testament, in the wilderness, <clears throat> God provided manna and quail 
uh, for the children as they were wandering in the wilderness. I don't recommend you wait for food to show up at your house unless you've ordered Uber Eats, right? That's, that's not how it works. It's not, well, God provides, I just wait. No, I, I find out what God's calling me to do. I, I find out how God wants to use my job, how, job, my career, how God wants to use my calling. And then I can step confidently into that calling because I know God's going to meet my needs as I do. God's providing for me as I continue to walk forward. Same thing emotionally. God provides for us emotionally through prayer, through His Word, through worship. But God also provides for us emotionally through a conversation with a trusted friend, through changing some habits that are going to help me live in a more healthy way emotionally through contacting my doctor, trained, qualified counselor, that sort of thing. I can walk forward in these smaller avenues that might help meet the needs of my life because I know ultimately, I have confidence that ultimately behind those things is a God who wants to use all of that in my life. He wants to provide for me using all of that. Another example, another ramification of of walking in the sense of God's provision is I have trust over worry. I, I trust. I can walk confidently because I, I trust that God is there for me, that God is providing for me, that God sees me and will see to it, that God supplies me and doesn't lack. I, I can trust. I don't, I don't have to be anxious. In, in the song Jireh, we, we took a snippet from the Sermon on the Mount. Right, Jesus is teaching and and he says, look at the birds of the air. They're, they're not anxious. God's providing for the birds of the air. They, they don't worry. Look at the lilies of the field. God provides for them. They don't worry. You should be like them. Confident, trusting in God's provision for you. Because Jesus' wonderful question, are you not much more valuable than they? Don't you think God loves you more than the birds? Don't you think God loves you more than the lilies of the field? God made you. God created you. you. You bear his image. Don't you think God loves you? And if he would provide for birds and flowers, he's going to provide for you. Trust him. Push worry and anxiety back because he is supplying your needs. Another consequence of living in this sense of Provision is, is gratitude. That my heart develops a, an attitude of thanksgiving because I do recognize where everything comes from. I do recognize that this is not me solely by my own strength and, and by my own talent making it through life. I realize that God is providing for me and I want to respond with gratitude. We're we're at the stage uh, of older kids, so uh, our youngest is 19, our oldest is 23, and, and there is that moment that, that maybe has happened for some of you in, in early 20s, somewhere around there, where your kids begin to reflect on what they experienced in their home, what they had in their home, and there are moments where they will call and say, I just want to say thank you. I, I didn't realize it at the time. I, I, I didn't realize 
what you sacrificed. I didn't realize what you, you did. I didn't realize what was going on. I didn't realize what was unique about our family and about our family uh, relationships and about our home. I didn't realize all of that. I just want to say thank you. Like, if you've experienced that as a parent, you know, like, best moment ever. Like, got it. Best, best moment ever. I'm not saying this happens every day. Like, we don't get text every week or month. I don't want to set your expectations too high if you're not there yet. But there are just those moments where we go, okay, they... They see. As we're walking through our life, as we're, as we're living busy day to day, just the habit of saying, God, I see that this came from your hand. God, I see that you have provided for us. God, I'm looking back, and I didn't see it then. I was anxious then. I was worried then. I was fearful then, but I look back now, and I know that you were seeing to it the whole time. You had us the whole time. You were providing for us the whole time. You were supplying for us the whole time. We live from this provision perspective. It gives us a heart of gratitude for what we have instead of complaint for what we feel we may lack. Let's consider one more aspect of God's provision. God does provide for our material needs. God provides for our emotional needs. God provides uh, for our relational needs. God supplies all of that. As Paul says, he supplies all of our needs. But as we've gone through this series, we've tried to dig around in the, the story that these names came from. Right? What prompted this particular name that can be applied in a lot of different ways because the Bible does use this idea of supply and provision over and over again all throughout the Bible. But specifically what was happening in the moment that God revealed this name. We're in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22, uh, Abraham uh, faces a test. He faces a, a test. If you were here last week, we were in Genesis 16, and, and Genesis 16 is this painful picture of what happens when people fail to trust in God's provision for them. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son, and through that son, God was going to build a nation, and ultimately, God was going to send a Savior who would bless all nations. This was God's promise to Abraham, and yet the answer delayed. There was no son and years went by, and, and, and the provision delayed and delayed. And Abraham and Sarah took the delay as an indication of lack, that God wasn't going to come through. God wasn't going to see to it. So they took matters into their own hands. And if you were here last week, you know it turned into a disaster. Uh, not just that they made some wrong decisions, but they harmed other people in the process of failing to wait on God's decision. Now, it would be a fair question, especially since we're studying these stories back to back. It would be a fair question to say, if Abraham and Sarah messed up that badly, why did God continue to use them? And that is a legitimate question. Because we saw Genesis 16 was a mess. Right? A, a, not your garden variety mess. Like over the top, 
horrible things that happen in Genesis chapter 16. And it is a legitimate question to say, how does this person get to play this role in God's story? Some people explain away these types of occurrences, specifically this one, but others like it. Some people explain it away as, well, Abraham was just a man of his time, right? That's a phrase we, we often use in a lot of different uh, contexts. He was a man of his time, and therefore he can't be held responsible for his decision. Everyone did it then. This is the way things were done back then. This was not considered wrong by most of the people. Abraham was a man of his time. I don't think I've ever heard anyone accuse someone of being a woman of her time. But that's a different story. Abraham is a man of his time, and they offer that as if it excuses everything about Abraham. A couple of problems with that. One problem is we would be using an excuse for Abraham that we would never let our teenagers get away with. If your teenager came to you after getting in really significant trouble and said, everyone was doing it, I'm just a teenager of my time. Everyone around me was doing it. You would say, your time is running out as a teenager. You would say, if everyone jumped off a, a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Hey, we don't let our kids get away with that excuse. Why do we look back in history and let significant figures get away with that excuse? When you hear the phrase, man of his time, person of his time, as a way to explain away some deficiency, some problem, I want you to hear that not as an excuse, but as a warning. Let it be a warning that even these significant figures that we still talk about today had such incredible blind spots that they would make this sort of terrible decision. Let it be a warning that even people that we consider to be faithful, we look back and we realize the pressure of their culture, the pressure of their times molded and shaped them in such a way that they could not even make a right decision that seemed really clear to everybody, certainly seems really clear today. Let this be a warning, not an excuse. We're not letting anybody off the hook. This is a warning. It's a warning that we probably should be really careful about what else that person may have missed. What, what else we should be careful listening to them about? But it's a warning to you and I. <clears throat> because if this person could be drawn away by the temptations of their culture, you and I can be too. It could happen to you and I. Where do we have blind spots? Where, where are we missing things? Where are we overlooking things? Because everybody overlooks them. Where are we looking away? Because everybody looks away. This, this is a warning, not an excuse. Nobody gets off the hook because of this is, this is a warning of danger. Still the question remains, so why does God use this person? And my answer, I don't mean this flippantly at all. 
My answer always is God uses imperfect people because those are all the people he has. That's, that's all the people he's got. If he had perfect ones, he'd use them. He doesn't. God uses imperfect people because those are all the people that he has. And in Scripture, he pulls the curtain back to say, there's some real problems with some of these leaders. And my grace is enough for them. And my grace is enough for you. Like if you pulled the curtain back on your life and, and you thought, well, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a lot of mess there. There's a lot of mistakes there. There's something that happened 20 years ago that nobody really knows right now in my current church or my current circle. If you pull the curtain back and that's there, God does that in the scriptures to say to you, my grace is sufficient. I can use you. If you'll surrender, if you'll move towards me in faith, so we meet this Abraham who, who after failing miserably, miserably, not trusting God's provision, in Genesis chapter 2, he has this growth opportunity. He has a growth opportunity. God says to him, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, Isaac. This is the one that had been promised and had finally come along. He's now a, a teenager, maybe even a young man at this point. I want you to take that one and only son that you have, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Um, so Abraham obeys. He gathers his son. He, he gathers uh, the wood that would be needed for the sacrifice. He gets his two servants. They set out. It's a three-day journey. They get to the place where they're going to make the sacrifice, and Abraham says to the servants, stay here. Isaac and I are going to go make the sacrifices, and we will return. And then this is where we begin to see the change in Abraham's heart. God, Abraham knows God's going to provide. I don't understand what's happening, but I know God's going to provide. The writer of Hebrews peels that layer back a little more. Because the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. Right, so we, we already see the amount of growth in the faith and trust in God's provision that's happened in Abraham. And Abraham says, we're going to go sacrifice and we're going to come back. God's going to provide. God, uh, Abraham already knows that. And along the way, Isaac kind of picks up on what's happening and says, um, Dad, we got wood, we got fire. We don't have a sacrifice. And here's Abraham's response, Genesis 22a, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. God, God's going to provide it. Trust him. God's going to provide it. And if you know the story, uh, Abraham prepares to, to sacrifice his son with a knife, and God stops him. And God provides in his son's place a lamb. And that's when Abraham says, I'm going to call this place God will provide. The Lord will provide. You can trust him. I messed up my life. I, I made a lot of bad mistakes. I, I, I'm going to be uh, the bad example in a lot of sermons. But I want to be the good example in this one. God will provide. 
I'm going to call this place. The Lord will, the Lord will provide. And then for hundreds of years, Isaac's question gets repeated. Where is he? Remember, Isaac said, God, where's the, where's the sacrifice? For hundreds of years, people ask, well, where's the Messiah? And the priest would say, the Lord will provide. For hundreds of years, the, the people would say, where's the Savior? And the prophets would say, the Lord will provide. The Lord's going to provide one day. The Lord is going to provide. We can trust Him. The Lord will provide. And there was that fateful moment. John the Baptist is preaching. And Jesus shows up to begin His ministry. And John the Baptist says, There He is. There He is. The Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. God has provided. For all of our needs... Our financial needs, our material needs, our, our emotional needs, our relational needs. It is our spiritual need that we are the most helpless to address. The fact that we are separated from God in need of forgiveness for our sins. That is a situation that you and I have no hope of fixing on our own. We can't contribute anything to it. Our job doesn't help us. The type of person we are doesn't help us. God had to provide that. God had to provide a way for you and I to be reunited with Him. And that took a lamb. That took the spotless lamb of God, Jesus His Son, who lived and died and rose again. Because he is the Lord who provides. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, you're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to meet up and we're going to have conversation. And you know what we're not going to talk about? We're not going to talk about that month that you missed the utility bill. We're not going to talk about the car that you weren't able to buy while you were on earth. We're not going to talk about all the things that you felt like you lacked financially and materially. You know what we're going to talk about? We were provided with a lamb who took our sins away, and that's the only reason we're here. That's the only reason our sins have been forgiven, and we are united with God for all of eternity. That's the provision that matters. It's not that our other struggles are unimportant. It's not that God doesn't see those. He does see those. He is the source for those. He will see to it in those areas. But if you have never surrendered your life to God, He has provided for your salvation. He has provided for your forgiveness in Jesus. And your response is simply to know that you need it. To know that you've sinned and you're separated from God and that by putting your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you would be brought into the family of God. And if that hasn't happened for you, do it today. Give your life over to Christ today. Receive what God has already provided for you 
today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our provider. You are enough. You will see to it. You are our supply and our resource. And yes, that goes for our day-to-day lives, the blessings that you've poured into our lives, the times that we struggle, the times that, that we're worried. You are our source. You are supplying for us emotionally. You're supplying for us relationally. But above all of those, you have provided for us spiritually in your son, Jesus who was the lamb sacrificed for us, for our provision. Thank you for Jesus. God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know him in relationship, who hasn't committed their life to him, then I I pray today would be the day they give their life over to Christ. And if needed, they would would step out as we sing this song. I'll I'll be down at the front. I would love to talk with them. I'd love to pray with them. This would be the day they commit their life to Christ. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.